The following interview originally aired on KPOV 88.9 on the Friday Point. You can listen to The Point 9 a.m. each weekday at 88.9 FM or at kpov.org. Whitewash usually refers to something that is bright white, clean, and appears to be have purity about it. Not today, fans. Welcome to a whitewashed edition of Central Oregon's premier community affairs program, The Point. I am your host, Steve, along with my programming technician, my lovely and talented Paula. Unfortunately, too much of our country's past history is ugly. We have tried to whitewash our past. It really hasn't worked at all. And here we are, truly, in a spit storm. It really shouldn't be that way. It really isn't a spitting contest. If everyone who was involved in our past history had been honest, issues would be far less difficult now. Even the best cornerstone won't sit right without a solid and true foundation. So we must acknowledge that the foundations of our country weren't without victims fraught with inaccuracies and outright lies. Until we have an accurate picture of our past, the way forward won't be anything less than dishonest. Honest writing accounts are essential, for without them, we are doomed to continue on our dangerous and chaotic behaviors. So, on this Tuesday, we are going to hammer on the subject with a frequent contributor, Redmond City Councilman Clifford Evelyn, who is more than qualified to discuss this, shall I say, difficult subject. So, turn up the volume and listen closely. Let's think about how important a free press really is and why all but a few books are not fit to consume. You know, you don't really have to read anything you don't want to. That's for the reader to decide. But remember, if you choose to remain ignorant, it is at your own peril. I can't think of anybody I would rather have a conversation with about the whitewashing of U.S. and world history. Just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. Words made famous by Jack Webb of Dragnet, the famous 1950 television series. The facts, my brother, just the facts. Welcome, Redmond City Councilman Clifford Evelyn. This morning. Good. So, Cliff, right. <laughs> let's approach this difficult subject that has the acronym CRT. Right. So this morning, uh, obviously, we're talking about critical race theory. Uh, you know, critical race theory is sometimes abbreviated to uh, CRT. And what it is, it's an intellectual approach to looking at U.S. society with a belief that racism is at the core of its laws and institutions. You know, institutions. And most people, you know, they hear the CRT and they panic and they want to back off and they, they think it's something that's going to be very, very bad for our, for our world and our country. And it's not. Critical race theorists base uh, this thinking on a few important observations. So let's talk about some of those observations. One of the observations is about race. You know, race is a social construct that doesn't have anything to do with biological differences among people, including differences in intelligence or physical ability. This became definitively clear over the years, and now everyone should know about it. The other thing is the fact that um, the U.S. and all of its laws and institutions were founded and created based on the myth of white supremacy. The assumption that lighter skin and European ancestry meant that white people were better, at, uh, deserved a high, higher social and economic position than people of color. This is important to note because racism is embedded within our systems and institutions codified in law and woven into American public policy. This racial inequality is replicated and maintained over time. This is where systematic racism shows up in nearly every facet of life for people of color. So another thing is that uh, fact the CRT aspires to empower voices that have been marginalized 
embracing and lived experiences of people of color through research, storytelling, and counter-storytelling placed in historical, social, and political context is critical to the scholarship or the learning that examines race and racism in our society. You know, and I think a lot of this revolves around the idea of making some books less accessible. And, and we have a history of that that's relatively rich, and I'm going to make it just this one quick comment about it. Howard Zinn wrote a book, The People's History of the U.S., and when he wrote that book, his intention was to have a quiet revolution, which I think is more or less necessary, a, a revolution without guns and all that stuff. And that's what we're attempting to do or talk about here today. Absolutely right, Steve. Absolutely right. You know, again, you know, critical race theory traces the legacy of racism in America through slavery, the civil rights movement, and even the Black Lives Matter movement of today. At its roots, CRT draws from the work of notable black scholars and activists like Sojourner Truth, W.E.B. Du Bois, and Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, in its current form, CRT developed in the late 1970s when the civil rights movement of the 1960s had stalled and many of its gains were being rolled back. So learning about black history and the history of blacks in this country is very important. And for us to just disregard it and take books away and tell people don't read about it is basically damaging to the understanding and the joining and the understanding of each other in this country, uh, race relations. And we need to build those race relations. Absolutely. You know, I, I think uh, you simply can't have a discussion about critical race theory without discussing the word truth. And unfortunately, uh, a lot of our history has been whitewashed. And I, I think you felt the brunt of that more than most people because you have done the research and you know exactly what you're talking about and some of your previous experience is without measure. Absolutely right. You know, another thing is, you know, you know, people always ask, well, why is critical race theory relevant today? Well, let me tell you why it's relevant today. Because in a perfect world, educational equity would ensure that all students have access to high, high, high quality curriculum, instruction, and funding. But we don't live in a perfect world. So racial inequality manifests in a number of ways in American education. For example, uh, the predominant curriculum centers the white narrative and tends to exclude the histories and lived experiences of people of color. Instruction often takes a deficit-based approach, characterizing students of color as being in need of remediation rather than appreciating their talents and giftedness. School discipline policies, as we all know, the school discipline policies is disproportionately impact students of color often compromising their educational outcomes. And finally, school funding inequities persist. Predominantly, white districts receive $23 billion more in funding than districts deserving the students of color. What inequity? What more of an inequity can we talk about? There isn't any, really, honestly. It, you know... I, I think that uh, one of the things too that needs to be mentioned is I'm gonna I'm gonna interject this as well. Uh, in a philosophical sense, I'm an objectivist, which means that you are a person who always searches for the truth. And uh, unless you're willing to dig these days just a little bit, uh, you're getting a very slanted view of just exactly what happened historically, not only here in the United States but worldwide. 
You're absolutely right, Stevie. You know, when I was growing up, when I was going to school, you know, we talked about the Civil War, but they never tell you, even told you there was black soldiers in the Civil War on both sides of the plans, on the Confederate side as well as the Union side. You know, there's so much that they have withheld. And, you know, my biggest thing and my biggest question, you know, to people that are against critical race theory is what are we trying to hide? Why is it that you don't want to have that conversation? And what most of them say to me, well, we don't want black people to hate white people. And my question is, why would you think that? I mean, why would you even believe that? The fact of the matter is history is important, and all kinds of history is important. You know, not just black history, but I'm going to talk about black history for two reasons. One, because I'm black. Two, because it's black history, Mom. And three, there's no better time to talk about it than now, because I'm on the radio talking to the people in Central Oregon. You know, and I think that it's very important that we think about what this really means and how damaging it could be to avoid it and, uh, and continue avoiding addressing it. It's a, a shame that for a country that is so involved in truth and justice and liberty for all, uh, we haven't really practiced it from a historical standpoint, and it's been really difficult to cover those tracks up. You're right. You know, and um, another thing, um, CRT, critical race theory, it provides a relevant research-based framework through which education leaders, uh, education leaders and policymakers can think about the social construct of race and the impact of racism on students of color. The framework also provides educators the tools they need to transform current practices in teaching and learning and to examine the attitudes and biases, implicit or explicit, that they bring into the, their classrooms. This work allows educators to teach in ways that are truly anti-racist, culturally responsive, and affirming. And you can't ask for anything more than that. And that's where we want to get to in this society now. Well, I think I think a big stumbling block to that is just one simple word, and that's fear. And the fact is, fearful people are not particularly tolerant, and we need to dispel the fears. You know, nothing that dramatic is going to happen in this country as we examine the truth. Right. You're absolutely right. You know, and examining the truth means you got to have knowledge. You know, knowledge is power. You know, and the fact... Um, I mean, there's so many books that are trying to be moved from the shelves now, you know, and uh, it's just sad, you know. And again, you know, my biggest question is, why would you want to do that? You yeah. know, so, and you know, and it's, it's very interesting, Steve, because the younger generation, they are so smart. Because when you tell people, we're taking this book off the shelf, we're not going to let y'all read this, you know what they do? They go out and find the book and they read it. So it's working against those who don't want that information to come out because it's creating curiosity in the youth in this country, and people that just want to know. Even, I sit with a bunch of veterans right now, and they're in their 70s like me, you know, but these guys want to know too. They're like saying, okay, I never even heard about that. You know, just like uh, Black Wall Street. You know, Black Wall Street was hidden for so long because this was a very terrible time in life for a town that was very prosperous and doing well, and it was all black town. And they destroyed it, they bombed it, and everything else. I mean, they went to that extreme to erase it and to put the cherry on the cake, to use a, 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 a term, um, they actually erased it out of the history books. And it surfaced anyway. So it's always going to come back in time. Yeah, I, I think it's rather ironic, actually, as we're in the middle of having Olympics, that the United States would accuse China of abuses, and we still have some level of abuse in this country. 
And if we go back in time again, let's go back in time when I was growing up. And then I think I was already out of school, high school, I believe. You know, we had apartheid in South Africa. And it was the United States telling Africa that they should stop apartheid. And, and I'm thinking, well, we have that going on in our country now at the same time. So that's like, and I hate to use this term, but I'm going to use it anyway. It was like the pot calling the kettle black. So you're telling Africa that they need to change their ways and their behavior, but you are exhibiting those same behaviors within the United States of America. So who are you, who are we, to tell somebody how to conduct their behavior when we can't even conduct our own properly? Yeah. And we can see that now. Yeah. No question about it. I was going to say, in terms of banning books or discouraging people from reading books, well, should Mein Kampf be erased? Should we try to push it out of the way? I'd argue that no, not at all, because we need to know what happened in an accurate fashion so that we don't get to that level again. And like I said once again, I'm going to remark about the people's history of the United States, which has been a very controversial work, but it might be the the easiest read in terms of of looking at accurate U.S. history, and I think that's absolutely important. It is absolutely important. You know, um, the 45th president of the United States went on attack, you know, and what he did was he attacked the 1619 Project and announced an executive order establishing a short-lived 1776 commission you know, to promote patriotic education. Uh, he also issued a subsequent executive order banning government contractors from conducting racial sensitivity and diversity training in the workplace. You know, the executive order was a reaction to educational initiatives like the 1619 Project. So it was like a tit for a tat. You know, um, he tried to remove the work of Howard Zinn, you understand? And I mean, I mean what is that all about? So, you know, it's just a shame what we're going through right now. We just turned back the hands of time in four years. You know, I grew up in the 60s. I grew up in New York City. I grew up in Harlem. You know, I watched the civil rights movements on TV that was going on in the South with Martin Luther King. You know, I've seen a n- number of demonstrations, protesting and everything like that. And I, w- I thought by the 70s when I was growing up that all this would be gone and done with and we'd be living happily ever after. Well, I guess I was wrong. And guess what? We're in 2022, and we're still going through the nonsense. And it depends on where you live at in the United States, how in your face it is. And it's a shame that it's in your face like that. Yeah, what we what we had after the 70s was just a period of appeasement. Just just enough to for appearances, basically. And uh, it, it, that's simply not enough. Uh, you know, and I think that there are a lot of people that are afraid that when all this stuff has been exposed, that they're going to feel retribution. And I think uh, nothing could be further from the truth. We've now entered a a time where there's just as many, well, there's more poor white people than there are poor black people. And everybody needs to be lifted up. And one way of doing it is through education. And you're absolutely right, you know. And you know what, Steve? You know, um, while I'm on city council um, in Redmond, my goal is to bring everybody together. I mean, there's not a lot of black people in Redmond, but that's not even the point, because um, you have white people against white people, okay? They have picked sides now, you know? And the only way we can be a strong city is we have to unite as one and work together and understand each other and have conversation and dialogue. That's what we need to do. You know, we're all not going to agree on everything, you understand, but we can compromise on things. And that's what my goal is, you know, because... I mean, we have to live in this town together. We have to live in this city together. And this city is growing. 
And as it grows, the demographics is changing drastically. And that can become a firestorm if we don't try to do the best we can in respecting each other and having dignity for each other. Um, you know, that's, it could turn into a mess. And we don't want it to be messy. At least I don't. Okay? No. And I hope that my colleagues feel the same way I do. Yeah, this is that is, city council is exactly what the grassroots movement is about, and you know, I'm, I am. We're going to mention this another time, but uh, I think it's it behooves everyone uh, to pay attention to city council meetings. That's that's yeah. where you're going to hear what the uh, future policies are going to be uh, in the area that you live in. So. And You're I'll say, right. yeah, and I'll say it again. You know, tonight is the city council meeting for both Bend and Redmond, and especially Redmond because obviously you're involved in that. And then uh, people within the listening area should be attending the city council meetings in Lapine and Prineville as well. Exactly. You know, and you know, we have to stay. You have to keep your finger on the pulse and know what's going on in your town and what's happening. And you need to be able to voice your opinion and let them know. Let us know. You know what you like, what you don't like, what you like to see, you know, and things like that. That's what city council is all about. It's not a dictatorship where we just get there and just start telling everybody what they got to do, and here's how we're going to do it, and we're going to take your tax money and do, it, do that. You know, that's not what it's all about. But it can turn into that if we allow it to do that, you know. Um, and I don't, I'm, I don't want that to happen. I want people to have input. I want everyone in this city, black, white, or other, to be a stakeholder in what takes place, how the city grows, how we progress forward, because that's what that's what it's all about, you know. And I'm not going to settle for anything less. And I want to speak up when I have to. Absolutely, and you know, I think everybody should appreciate that. It's it is no fun being in government. It, it a lot of times it's like standing on a hill of mush, uh, you know. And and I think for people that might find the city council meetings boring, the more you get involved, the more it becomes more of a town hall. And that's what we're looking for is involvement. Let me tell you something. Life is not easy. City council is not easy. Government is not easy. We have to be able to take on the hard tasks just as we like the easy ones. Okay? And so, like I said, if we all work together and put our, put our minds and hearts into this, we will come out, come out on top. And when I say come out on top, I'm not talking about picking sides coming out on top. I'm talking about coming out on top together as a city progressing forward into the 21st century. Amen, brother. Listen, I, I hate to say it, but we've reached the end of our time limit. Uh, once again, I want to remind our listeners to attend your city council meetings. And there's one tonight in Redmond, and you can do that on the computer. So there's no reason not to be involved. Once again, Clifford, thanks so much for being on The Point. Look forward to talking to you again. Thank you, Steve, uh, very much for having me again. And I want to tell everyone in um, Central Oregon, be safe and listen to KPO. The following interview originally aired on KPOV 88.9 on the Friday Point. You can listen to The Point 9 a.m. each weekday at 88.9 FM or at kpov.org. We to stay to be in touch with what's going on. Thank, Thank you so much. Thanks again, Cliff. Thanks for listening to this KPOV podcast. KPOV is community radio for the high desert of Central Oregon. For more information and our program schedule, please visit kpov.org. We value your feedback. Drop us a note at podcasts at kpov.org.